Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. Today, we're gonna be diving a bit more into our conversation about truth. Um, before we get into kind of an overview of what we're gonna talk about in this episode, Brian's gonna read a letter um, that was written by someone who um, has been, you could say in the middle of all the stuff that's been going on with the uh, GameStop stock situation, with the Redditor situation, the Wall Street situation, the hedge fund situation. If you don't know what I'm talking about with those things, you might've been living under a rock for the last few days and that's okay. We'll explain a bit more, but first we wanna read this letter and dive into it. This is for you, dad. I remember when the housing collapse sent a torpedo through my family. My father's concrete company collapsed almost overnight. My father lost his home. My uncle lost his home. I remember my brother helping my father count pocket change on our kitchen table. That was all the money we had left in the world. While this was happening in my home, I saw hedge funders literally drinking champagne as they looked down on the Occupy Wall Street protesters. I will never forget that. My father never recovered from that blow. He fell deeper and deeper into alcoholism and exists now as a shell of his former self, waiting for death. This is all the money I have, I have, and I'd rather lose it all than give them what they need to destroy me. Taking money from me won't hurt me because I don't value it at all. I'll burn it all down just to spite them. This is for you, Dad. So the reason we bring that letter up, and and we're not going to spend a lot of time in this episode talking about what's happened with all the stock shifts and the short selling and all that. But it, it is interesting to me that a lot of times we'll look at things going on, quote, in the world, like this situation, and we'll sort of automatically put it in this not really a spiritual things box. If you really look at what's going on here, you see a lot of deep truths that are revealed. And so we're going to ask a couple questions tonight. Um, one being what happens when truth is removed from a society? And the response of that, but not just in a society, on a personal level as well. What happens when truth is either removed completely or when the measurement of what is true changes and the effects that can have on individuals, the effects that can have on a society? And I would say that's more important now more than ever to be understanding this stuff. A couple other things we're going to look at, why absolute truth even matters in the first place. And that might be the first place to start, because if it doesn't matter, then the entire conversation is just kind of pointless. But for those of you listening, I think for the most part, you guys would agree that there is absolute truth and it does matter. And then one more thing we want to look at is truth hard to find, or do we just refuse to accept it? As we were going through all these, that, that letter, I'm interested to hear your guys's perspective of uh, removing everything, you're just hearing this passion of this young man. What stands out to you in that? And we're not looking at which one's right, what's wrong, should he be okay doing that? Is this the right thinking? I want to just really look at it. What's your response to that statement? I think my response to him would be somewhat as like a, I understand how he feels. I understand, you know, what he wants to do and what he wants accomplished. But I would more so disagree on the way he's doing it and maybe the the, the feeling um, that he has about doing it. Uh, it seems to come from more of a place of like malice and anger towards a person than, um, you know, love or something. But I, I understand where he's coming from. And I, I really feel that. And I think that's something that a lot of people um, in my generation and probably even in some of the older generations feels well, so. And I think it's important to add because what you're stating is we're, we're dealing with the letter here. So we're not dealing with the right and wrong of buying or selling and who did what within the system. We're just targeting this individual's response to that. So thank you, Tommy. Yeah, I think I would agree with Tommy on some level, but seeing if if that was my dad in that situation or, or any situation, if it was a family member where it was completely destructive to them due to someone else's um, action, I would feel, I think, the same way in the moment if I had the opportunity to um, do in what I see as my eyes as justice for that person, like 
it seems morally right outside of myself because I'm even forsaking my own um, wealth like he's doing in this situation for the sake of his father. So I really think I understand that and I'm even still wrestling with it. Like what what's the point of justice versus vengeance in that situation? Like where's the truth and where how does that affect your actions and what you're doing there? It's kind of crazy to see how something like that comes out of, of an event that's obviously tragic for, for that guy and for his father and for their family. And then you you kind of see the how his perspective of it shapes his reality and his truth. I know we we're talking about this whole di- idea of the truth versus your truth, but just look at his example for a second where he sees something happen to his father and to his family. And there's an enemy, there's a nemesis that caused it. I mean, in reality, the the hedge fund people that he saw drinking champagne probably didn't know his dad at all. And they might not have even been the ones to cause the demise. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. It doesn't really matter. What matters is the truth that he saw was there are these evil people out there and they hurt and destroyed my family and I will do whatever it takes to get back at them. And so it's crazy to me to see how deep of an effect that has on someone. And so whether it's right or wrong, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, whether maybe his dad just made some bad financial moves, maybe the hedge fund managers made some bad financial moves, it doesn't matter. What matters is what he saw in that moment just completely changed him and wrecked him. And then a truth was buried in him that came out in this, in this whole letter, in this whole experience. I think and with- so it kind of to me, it, it scores the importance of knowing the truth in a situation. Because what if he's wrong? What if he's right? I mean, if he's right, then his approach is a lot more just and a lot more justified when he's trying to right the wrongs that happened. But if he's wrong, then you just created this person that took this extreme action and hurt other people based on a false presumption or a false premise. Well, it's interesting. His, his response to this actually has gone around for a couple thousand years. This, this is absolutely not a new, new, a new thing, and it's talked about in James, it's talked about in the prophets, it's talked about in Isaiah, it's talked about in Jeremiah, and this idea of a power source starting to falsify things for their gain to oppress the people. And then there's this backlash that happens. Now, I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but he's recognizing they could do this to me too. This is, this is what could happen to me too. And I think it's very personal. And I, um, again, not a right or wrong on this, but I can understand where, where this young man is coming from. And I'm going to read this to you from uh, Jeremiah. It says, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. This is Jeremiah 5.1. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you could find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth. Then in Isaiah 59, 14 and 15, it says, So justice is driven back. Righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. I think what's really important is is we have now entered into a, a, a world that the veil is peeled off. It's becoming crystal clear. You just look at any situation going on now in the news. I don't care where you stand on it. Just step aside from your position on any issue right now and just look at it. Is the issues being justly handled? For instance, one group of protesters of, under their uh, First Amendment right to peacefully protest, protest. A group of them decides to do violence, destroy, plunder, burn, and people die. But they're recognized for their peaceful protest with a few fringe that do something wrong. Another group peacefully protests. A fringe gets in, breaks the law, damage, does all that. Someone dies. The whole group is villainized. That's not a sense of justice. It's not 
calling out what's wrong within it and what's right within it. We have that in every possible sector going on right now, even when it comes to what's going on with money. And there's there's a couple areas that are very fundamental to a, a society. And, and um, I'll share a couple verses with it, but I want you to, to see the Bible clearly has addressed this. And when justice is removed, the scales or the weights and the measures change. When justice is removed, the justices takes bribes, the justices falsify verdicts, they change the rules to benefit them, and they hurt the laborer. When justice is removed, the communication supports the group that's in power, the authority. They, they reclaim an authority name. And all three of those areas, when justice is removed, become perverted, and it doesn't just oppress the people. It strips them of who they are. And that is what is taking place in our world right now. And that is what happens when you remove truth, because there can be no righteousness. There can be no justice. And I think when I hear this kid's letter, here's what I see. I've seen how the world works. There is no justice for me. And I am not going to let my dad carry the weight of it. So I'm going to go fight on his behalf. And it is interesting, I'll leave this point. This is why in the, when we read kingdoms of old, when a new kingdom took over, they would go kill the whole family of the, of the leader of the kingdom that they took because they did not want the children to rise up in vengeance towards that kingdom. And by the way, I'm not promoting any of this. I am just making a statement. What happens when truth changes and another kingdom invades a kingdom and all of this conflict starts, starts taking place, this is what you will start seeing, and you will see more of it taking place as we go on. I mean, from what I've seen in 2020, I think that's probably the most obvious and clear thing now. So, and, and I say obvious and clear, but at the same time, I don't think most people realize that we've seen played out in front of us the proof that without a, a common absolute truth, your society will destroy itself. It will eat itself. It will tear itself apart. Here's the point. In 2020, I've had these conversations with people where they're very concerned about the Antifa violence and the riots and all the damage and destruction from that. So we have someone seeing Antifa that is a, you know, in, in the perspective of a violent organization that is very upset at the injustice they see in America. And so they are fighting against that injustice. And then on, you could say, the other side, fighting against an unjust and corrupt system. And those two sides are opposed to each other. But I think we're missing the point when we just automatically take one side over the other. Both are fighting from their perspective of truth. And both are leading to violent outcomes at times. Now, I know we can, we can make the distinction of, okay, well, in this circle, it's not really these people doing it. It's, it's been infiltrated by bad actors. I get all that, but just look at the perspective of what happens to movements or what can be instigated in movements when there's not a common truth that they hold together. You end up fighting, you end up with violence, with destruction, and end up with death. And so I don't think that you can have any any sense about you at all and say, well, it doesn't really matter if we have an absolute truth. People can just kind of decide that for themselves. Because if you do that, you end up with people deciding, well, I think this person's a tyrant. Oh, and another person's saying, well, I think this person is, you know, a hero and a champion. And eventually you just start fighting each other over it. That's how wars happen. That's how assaults and death happens. And that's, you can't live that way. You just can't. So where would you push back? How would you how would you speak to the person that's has had so much injustice done to them, even in their view? Because now we're dealing with a person's beliefs, not necessarily even what's true. And I, I think that's a very important when we're dealing with absolute truth. Because you deeply believe it does not make it true. It just means that's what you believe. So believing something isn't a truth or not a truth. It's just what you deeply right. believe, and now you're you're reflecting that in everything you do. What do you do when someone is truly standing for truth and it faces deep opposition? 
is it because they're they're pushing back? Is it because uh, they're they're wanting a revolution? How do you how do you interact with that idea? Like you made you made a statement, Jason, that you're saying this group uh, this group believes in justice, so they're standing up and pushing. This group on the other side believes that they're standing for the truth and are pushing back, and this conflict is happening. But what do you do with the people in the middle that are just leveraging what's been given to them and their rights, and they're speaking, and they're not violating law, but they deeply are passionate about them? Are they also part of those fringe groups? There's a right way and a wrong way to be angry. So when you do stand up for truth against injustice, there is automatically going to be conflict. There's automatically going to be pushback because you're standing for truth and for justice. By default, things that are untrue and unjust are going to fight against you. So how you know you're in the right or the wrong in that case is, am I trying to conquer someone else? Or am I just standing in truth and the pushback is the result of injustice coming at me? I don't know if that really makes sense much, but it, it comes down to what I would just call personal responsibility. Am I standing in truth because I this is the truth and I want to share that with the world and some people are going to reject it and some people are going to accept it? Or am I am I doing what I'm doing because I'm trying to enforce my will upon everyone else and make that everyone else succumb to what I believe and what I say is the truth, whether they like it or not. Yeah, it, it does. And I think that's where the confusion really lies is people believe the truth. Well, if this is absolute, then we need to stand to do it. So, but now we're dealing with our motives of interaction with the truth, but the thing you're really opposing is something that's not true. So the moment you say this is truth and you're pushed back on, then it has to be what's not true is pushing against it. And how do you determine the difference? How What do you listen to? How do we get to the point where we know what, what to stand for? Or, or should we be standing? Shouldn't we just keep a nice, peaceful, get our little house, our picket fence, bury ourselves away, or go sit in a mountain somewhere and not even deal with the problem? Isn't that a better way to deal with, this is true, they're all a mess, and I'm going to go live my own life? My My point is, the moment we embrace something, something changes. And so how in our world, as things become more clear of what's against us and what's not and what's for us, how do we start measuring that? How do we teach a generation? How do you address this young man to have a different heart about this, but to not let go of this of, of what's true about what he's saying? I I agree. I I feel like we should stand up for the truth and that we should still fight for it, even if everyone disagrees or everyone doesn't find it true. Um, or they go off of different their feelings or different experiences they have that aren't based on the truth. I still believe we should fight for it. Um I've been kind of throwing around this idea with some friends of mine, and a friend posed a question to me. His question basically was if no one believed in the truth, is the truth still the truth? And that caused me to kind of sit back and think like, even if we all don't believe in the same truth, this truth is still true no matter what. And I think that's kind of an important point to know. Um, one thing I would say is, Jason, you were in the middle of talking there, you kind of talked about absolute truth. And I think maybe one of the issues that I have and maybe some people my age or even older is we don't really understand what is absolute truth and what does that mean so I guess my question to any of you would be what would you define absolute truth is so this is what came to my mind with your friend's question there if we've got everyone in the world and everyone's got everyone's got a gun in their hand everyone's got it, it's loaded and everyone in the world says, okay, if we point this at our forehead and pull the trigger, it's not going to kill us. It's still going to kill everyone. Like that's an absolute truth. I mean, technically, maybe some would misfire. Technically, maybe some of the guns would jam. Okay. But the truth is, the absolute truth is, if you get shot in the head, you're going to be very hurt or more likely dead. And so there are no amount of people 
in the world. Like we, when I was in high school, we never actually played Russian roulette, but we talked about it. Like, well, would you actually do it? Cause we were just, you know, in high school, that's what you do when you're in high school and you have a lot of time to waste. You talk about weird, stupid stuff that you'll never actually do. But I was talking with a group of friends, like, would you actually do it? And some people were like, oh yeah, totally. I'd totally be, I'd, it's, you know, kind of trying to show off their bravery and all this stuff. And I'm just sitting there like, no, there's no, there's no scenario where I'm going to just spin the chamber and pull a trigger with a gun pointed in my head to, for whatever reason. Because I know if the bullet's in the chamber, it's going to kill me. That's an absolute truth. And maybe I'm the only person in the group or the world that believes that absolute truth. That's fine, whatever. And so if we have absolute truths like those, and that's just one example, obviously, then we at least have one point to start drawing the marker of. Okay, well, there is absolute truth, whether everyone in the world believes it or not. We just know that. And that, I think at least that for me starts the conversation. So do you think that is how we kind of get at the distinction of like between the two different groups of different beliefs that becomes their truth? If we point out a absolute truth to them, would that, do you think that is where you can begin to change people from believing in basically their own truth? Does that start when you point out absolute truth or how does that it can for getting? some people, but th there's one thing that I, th I don't remember if we mentioned in the last episode or not, but maybe we were talking about it in the, in the pre-show or afterwards. We were asking, why are you spending so much time arguing with people who don't want the truth in the first place? And so there's definitely going to be people that there's nothing you can say or do to convince them that there is absolute truth. They're just going to live the way they want to live. But for those who are actually seeking truth, that are actually open to the idea of there being truth in the world, and the few that are even bold enough to admit that they're wrong about the truth, I think that can be a really good starting point. Well, I think we got to distinguish between two things even in this conversation. One is trying to persuade someone to bring them the truth, and the other is something has been done that's unjust, and you're trying to stand in the truth. You're really not caring about who you're persuading with that. You're just standing in it. And so there's two things taking place in this conversation. I thought it might be good to kind of distinguish between that because this young man's not trying to persuade anybody. He is just done with the injustice of it. But actually what he's doing is not illegal. He's not doing an illegal thing. He's not storming something. He's doing something within the framework that's been given. And again, I'm not condoning or not condoning. We're just talking about this young man's action. I'm assuming he's a young man, but younger than me, I'm sure. So um, when, when we're looking at that, we have to distinguish, first of all, those two things is, is this because I'm trying to persuade people with a new idea or the right idea? Or am I trying to take a stand in something that's being pushed against? And I think we've, we have several different elements that are hard about this, especially as a Christian. And I want you guys to kind of rustle through this is here's the first one. How does how does our truth of the Bible, of our Father God, who gave us Jesus so that way we could be one with him, and through Jesus, the Son of God, the living God, the living word, our stable anchor point, how are we supposed to respond to these things? One, in when these things happen, and I'm not referring to injustice that happens to you. I'm talking about when you take a stand for injustice that happens to other people. So personally, take the hit on your face. When it comes to other people, that's a whole different argument. So how do we take a stand? Second, how are we supposed to conduct ourselves in light of these things? And then how do we go about bringing light or truth to a place that's dark? So there's three different elements that we wrestle around with, and Christians have a hundred different ways. We'll say this is the truth, right? So those verses I just read, this was God's view. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 21 says this, how the faithful city has become a whore. She used to be filled with justice. Righteousness used to reside within her, but now only murderers live there. Your silver has become dross. That means they started adding other metals to the silver to make it less valuable, but have an a 
a perceived value of the same. Your best wine is diluted with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. All of them are lovers of bribes and are runners after gifts. They don't bring justice to the orphans, and the widow's case never becomes for review to the court. Therefore, this is what the Lord God of the heavenly armies, the one who is mighty, is Israel's mighty one, declares, I will get relief from his enemies and avenge myself on his foes. In other words, God's passion towards this is the same passion that we all share. Injustice, unrighteousness, bribery, the, the leverage of power, the using uh, the scales to adjust so that way the, a certain group gets benefit. Now let me just, so I can have a frame of reference, go to James, and here's what James says about this, so that now we're into the New Testament. James chapter 5, verses 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. By the way, this isn't talking about someone who has money. This is talking about someone who is the power of richness. All right? It's a very big distinction. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be witness against you and they and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days, indeed the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Again. This whole thing that this young man is feeling is addressed, and God addresses it. He shares the same feeling. The issue, sometimes when we see a truth not being executed, or we know a truth that exists, it's how are we supposed to respond to it in a manner that doesn't create a sense of malice and envy and bitterness as a motivation to deal with that. Yeah, I think maybe if this is the direction that you're thinking, um, like I think how we act on the truth. So justice in my mind is correcting what was wrong by the truth. So you can't have justice without truth. And so um, I think in this case, like if we're using this specific example, it, you have to be careful how you go about acting on the truth, because if you use the truth to enact vengeance, like personal vengeance, then you're lowering the value of truth, like it's saying in there, where they mix the pure metals with other things. But if you allow the truth to simply stand, I think that will naturally correct what is wrong in that situation. Like if you think about it in the market, if we don't make it an objective, like the groups who's trying to correct it, if they don't make it an objective simply to destroy the people who have manipulated the market, but if they simply make it an objective to correct the market and make the market true, then it will simply then it will justify what is wrong in the market without it being personal vengeance, which will not justify the situation, will not make it true, will not make the market what its true value is. And I think that kind of metaphor analogy could be applied to anything. Because if we act on the truth for vengeance, then it's not correcting the situation to truth. It's simply reversing what was done. But if we allow the truth to rise in the situation, then that situation will be corrected by the truth, not you yourself. And I think whatever the outcome is of that, if it um, you know, happens to the person who did it to you, it doesn't really matter because it's simply the truth correcting the situation, not you taking justice into your own hands. So I think like that can be applied to different areas more than just, quote unquote, the market in this situation. It's, it has to be focused in the right direction is what I'm, what I'm seeing on that. And I, the, the example of this guy in his letter, it just it hits me so much that it's his father. So when you're looking at standing against injustice, that means you have to stand and be pointed at the injustice and take your, your anger, your frustration out on that thing, not out on someone else. 
And a good father is the one that teaches a child how to be righteously angry and to be angry in the correct way. So he teaches, when you see an injustice, this is how you properly stand against it. But in the example of this guy in the letter, and I don't know the family situation, so I'm not trying to make assumptions on what his family life was like. I'm just looking at the little information we have and seeing the picture. His father was destroyed because of this. And so all that he had left was, well, I want to get, I want to get even. There wasn't a guiding figure to show him how to see injustice and to rise above it by taking personal responsibility. And we see that all over the place. And that's one thing when, when in a practical sense for all of us, when we're looking at movements and things that happen is the, the injustice they're standing against is the way they're standing against injustice, the way that a, a confident son or daughter does, or are they like a hormonal angry teenager just lashing out at everything around them? I think that is really the 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 depth of it when we're looking at why that absolute truth matters and how you respond to it. Yeah, I agree. And I think also, no matter what we see as justice in our mind, truth stands like above that. Like, it's not that the truth is completely disregarding your feelings, but it's disregarding the way that you want to act on those feelings or the way that you see justice would be rightly um, acted out upon. So I think that's important to note too, because then it just will turn into a eye for eye situation. This injustice done now I'll go act on what I believe is justice for my situation. So there almost has to be even a sense of, I think, humbling, not that you're going to give up on what the truth is, but you say, well, this injustice was done to me. I'll still act justly and act on the truth, but not in the same way that this, because in the other person's mind, maybe they were acting on the truth as well, but the way that they went about it was unjustly done. So you have to, at the same time, be careful how you act on what you believe is truth, even if it is absolute, absolute truth. Once we believe that our only justice comes from natural things, and I know this is sometimes this can be a real passive response. So I, I kind of want to correct this. So I'm not referring to the passivity of, well, that's just how they do things. Let's go live in a cave and just wait for Jesus to return. I, I think that is just the, the most wrong, disengaged thought process to have. It is you still need to be in those places of truth. You still need to keep living your life in the sphere of influence that you are. We still need to be uh, concrete in that. But when I hear this young man talk, his only justice is still based on a, a, a truth that's built in natural realm. It's still a materialistic truth. And this is the, the danger of both sides of this at times. Marxism or man's thinking or man is, everything is just natural. All truth is just natural. There's nothing above what we know. If we look at the justice or the injustice based in that, we're actually making a case for socialism, which is what was going on in James. People use that, see, God already knows the laborer's been cheated, the laborer's against the system, so let's move the laborer against the system. Or we, we make these arguments around that, but the whole point was God knows that there's wickedness doing these things. But now there's a higher per, higher position we can take in truth that we could be unmovable. We could stand in the face of it. And I liked how you brought that up, Caleb, that if we if we bring fake coins to counter fake coins, we're, we're not accomplishing. You didn't say it that way, but that's how if we bring a fake coin to counter a fake coin, we, we didn't accomplish anything. We're just still dealing with this false truth versus here's the truth of the matter. And now you're forcing that whole system to come into reckon with it. The reason I was sharing those verses about God's view is God hates it too, and he sees it. He knows what wickedness looks like. He knows what untruth looks like, but he had to bring in, in Isaiah, the whole rest of the, the book is a Messiah that is just coming in and reestablishing truth. In other words, within man's system, we're always going to be wrestling with this. But you brought up this idea of, of movements. I don't believe in being a part of a movement. I believe in having movements. 
and it makes amazing fertilizer for something that's real. This idea of getting a hold of a movement and being a part of a movement can be very stinky, it's dead, and there's no life in it, but it does have an effect. But its real design is for fertilizer. But where we really want to be is how do we extract the truth and then let go of those things and be and, and hold to a standard. And I think that poem, If, by Rud, Rudyard Kipling that we played on the last one, when we become as individuals and take responsibility and can stand in truth and we speak the truth and are unmoved by the lies and are unmoved by those things, that creates pillars in our society that people can begin anchoring around. I see this young man as a fatherless young man. I see this young man looking for something to bring this out, and if it was tempered and if it was brought, he may still go and invest the way he did, and that's not a right or wrong thing. It's not about the actions. It's getting rid of the ill intent. And I'm going to read this one last thing. It is James chapter 3, 13 through 18. It says this, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And if anyone has not heard the actual definition of the word meekness, it is not with weakness. Meekness is power under control. So I'll post the link just so you can get a highlight of what meekness is. With meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. And I think that's what you were saying, Caleb. Like, there's a righteous anger that will rise and cause you to do something. But if you're doing it out of bitterness, out of envy, out of I'm going to take you down versus, hey, this is the system. This is unjust. I'm going to operate within the lines of the system. And I'm going to stand for truth and bring things back within the truth back to correcting. It could look like the same action. But the motive is 100% different because you can anchor yourself to that. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. And again, it lies against the truth. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. In other words, it brings wholeness. It is gentle. It is and easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. In other words, it can hold itself to its own standards. If we say this is wrong, but over here we say it's okay because it benefits us, but we can't say that's wrong too, that, that's, a, that's not wisdom. There's a hypocrisy in that. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And again, being a peacemaker is not obliging. And Jesus, Stephen made peace when he was stoned, when he just brought the truth out. He was making peace. Guys, this is what the truth is. He was making wholeness to the argument. It cost him his life. So again, the actions of it, it can, can look differently. But it's very important what you just said, Caleb, because that highlights it. But then you might say, yeah, but look at the injustices happening. That's why later on in James 5, he's explaining, no, God has seen what the injustice is, but you live this way because that is what brings truth into an environment. So I want to get your guys' perspective on how this has actually done something for you. So with, with the stuff that, that Brian's been reading, and we see other examples in the Old Testament too, where God actually cares about those, quote, natural truths or those injustices in a natural sense, like mixing a bad metal with silver or watering down wine or using different scales when you're trading with different people. Like he specifically calls that stuff out. And I think too often we will look at truth as this like vague spiritual concept when we're talking about it in, in Christianity. And we never actually let it apply to natural specific things that we face day to day. So I guess, how have you guys seen that or how has that changed how you look at things when you look at the world and things going on? Like, oh, there's an injustice in our political system and our legal system and, and here and here and here in, in markets. Like we see all this stuff around us. There's 
different classes of people that play by different rules and politics and in Wall Street where I get to do things this way, but if you do, then that's not okay. So different rules for you than for me and all that injustice around us. I think it's really easy to just kind of write that off as the world being the world. But in a sense, God actually specifically cares about those injustices too. Or do you to kind of see it a different way where it's it's just a man-made system and people are bad, so it is what it is and we just got to get through it. Yeah, I think from what I've seen, I mean, I can have like quite a few personal examples and everything in my life, but it's interesting. I read something the other day and when Jesus was on the earth, he saw all the injustices happening to the um, to the Jewish people. And he could have been like the zealot and acted on the truth to essentially, you know, get justice. But he didn't actually act violently against the system or anything. He even went to the tax collectors and the centurions, like the people who would commit acts of injustice, and he still treated this, them the same as he would like the person who the injustice is being done to. And I think that's been like kind of a guiding thing for my life because when I see someone doing an injustice, like this is like a very much smaller example, but if I have an argument with someone, like I've had discussions with people and then they start to get angry, I don't react in the same way because I feel justified doing that, that they're getting in my face and yelling at me even though I could essentially, because that's how they're acting wrongly towards me. This is just a small example, but if I still stand in the truth, but do so in love, like Jesus would, then that truth will actually be more effective because it doesn't act. The truth isn't being acted out as the same way as the other person acting out on what they believe is the truth. So it's more effective in communicating the truth and acting on justice one of the things that uh i just kind of was thinking about through this whole conversation was just um kind of what all you guys are saying is i think it's so easy today to act on emotion and what i feel um you know like the the injustice i feel it gets me all uh, i'm angry i want to do something i want to you know, I want to go get them back. I want to do something. But if you actually use that emotion for some something positive, like standing for the truth or standing for what is right, it goes so much farther. And although emotion is good and it moves crowds, when you actually move to the, the truth with that emotion, it's so much more effective. Because I think like going back to like all the riots, doesn't matter, whatever, you know, they destroyed things, but it didn't solve any problems. It just, you know, got attention, but it didn't really solve any problems. So if you use that emotion and if someone would stand up with that, you know, I'm, I'm upset with what's happening, but use it as like a righteous anger and actually go do something that's going to be useful instead of like just destroying things or just speaking their mind on social media or whatever. I think you really need to use your emotion for something positive rather than something for negative. And I think that takes a lot of thought to do instead of just, you know, uh, yeah, let's go get them. So. Well, would you say that this uh, young man was actually doing a positive emotional response? I mean, to me, it's really hard to say. I think that him writing about it was a good way to get it, it out of the system, out of the emotional response. and to get awareness but i still i don't know if i would agree with the actions but he's he's going somewhere better than just complaining about it or something you know because here we are talking about it so he's bringing up important stuff and let me just bring us to that point that you just said here we are talking about it. when the one thing that we have lost, and I'm just going to come down to Christianity and be, be hard on the way we institutionalize Christianity. We have stripped away the voice of conversation. We believe somehow that if I disagree with you on your thought or I have a problem with your perspective, I'm talking about just in the church world, we form a new denomination. And then we form another denomination. 
and then we form another denomination. And the reason there's 8 billion denominations is because we can't agree on certain ideas. And I'm not necessarily for or against that. I understand it. We all have that, that place. There's a, there's a bent and we grow. Um, I'm just saying that we've lost this idea of the argument. And if you looked at the early, people don't realize Jesus and Paul and Peter, they weren't invited by the church leader to speak behind the pulpit on Sunday morning. Yet they all went and spoke in the synagogues. How did that happen? They weren't invited. No, there was an open, the, the rabbi would read the scroll, and then the men would argue those ideas. And as they argued those ideas, they weren't arguing whether it was a truth or not. They were arguing the application of the truth. They were arguing, they were basically trying to get themselves to wrap their heads in a healthy manner around that idea of truth. And the moment you shut that down, the moment you shut down the ability to argue and analyze and come to the truth, it, I, I am convinced the reason Twitter took off the way it did is it eliminated the conversation. People love a headline without having to know anything. And as long as you can find the headline that fits the thing that you want at that moment, look, they're even saying it. Look, they're even saying it. But we have no idea what they're saying because they just took a sentence out of something that was being said. Like, But we haven't heard the story. We haven't heard the argument. We haven't heard the counter view. We, we haven't heard the rustle. The disciples rustled with ideas that Jesus spoke. And it was good. Because it wasn't there, they weren't saying the truth isn't there. They're wrestling with the application. How does it fit them? They had to wrestle with their motives. They had to bring themselves to it. And in that wrestle, we become men. We, be, we learn how to uh, analyze and rationalize, which Rudyard Kipling was, was dealing with. Then a situation happens, and without malice, without intent, but standing in truth, hey, this company is illegally and manipulating the market. I believe this company isn't that. So I'm going to stand behind the company that's being pushed. Now, all of a sudden, you have a pushback without an unhealthiness within that idea. I'm just referring to the stock idea. And I, I think we have gotten rid of the conversation. Even this, we all have a different view. We'll agree because we all like each other because we're not looking for a, a conversation. But there will hit points that we, we could talk about what we're all against. You know, it's easy to unite people about what you're against. It's very hard to unite people around what you're for. And so when you're for something, and this all comes back down to this core thing of the father-son, father-child relationship. When that is healthy, there's a stability of how to face the conflict in the world because you are going to a world that's at war with you because you're holder of the truth. And so when you do that, there's a stability, there's an anchoring. And again, we have a whole child, a, child, a fatherless generation that is now mad. We have an adult generation that has never seen justice. And they're mad. And they're, they're looking for an answer. And they're looking for stability in what's true. And so it's easier just to say to the younger generation, there really is no truth. It's just whatever you feel and whatever's right in that moment. And then we get this. From a rational perspective, postmodernism gives us no basis upon which to critique another person's moral beliefs or actions. Since everyone has their own self-made moral framework, it all boils down to self-interest. Therefore, how do you manage that? You throw them into a group. This group believes this, this group believes that, and justice becomes about the group and no longer about the individual. So actually, the amoral framework is the guise to create a group framework, which is the guise to be able to control and manage people. You're talking about a generation of people. And so here's, here's something that I, I think it's important to point out. We've had this generation that has grown up without seeing what a healthy argument between brothers and grown men looks like when you still have each other's back at the end of it. All that we have seen for years now is how you argue online with people. That's not an argument. That's not a, it's not a debate. We call it that, but there's no personal connection there. It's words on a screen. And until you've actually sat down with someone face-to-face, -face, someone that you care about and someone that you plan on still being friends with, 
and walk through what it feels like to disagree even deeply and strongly about important things. Until you've done that, you do not know how to stand for truth in the proper way. I'll, I'll give it a, a, a somewhat vague example just because I don't like throwing people's names out there. I have a very good friend of mine who if you were to look at online profiles and what they post and what they share and what they say, I would not at all be friends with that person, just straight up, not spend any time with them. But anytime we are physically together, hanging out in a group setting, whatever it is, they are the, the nicest, most generous and compassionate and caring person. I get along with them great. We share so much in common. But if all you see from someone is what you see online, which I think has been one of the biggest problems with 2020 is we forced everyone to just socially engage online. And that's not how human beings are designed to work at all. So don't be surprised when we see more things hit the fan later on because of this. But anyways, not being able to have those connections with people, you can't get to the truth on something. You can't tell someone's motives. You can't see their heart. You can't have a real conversation with them that way. And so how are you ever supposed to find common ground and common truth with people when you when you don't actually interact with them. And on top of that, how easy it is for someone who perpetrates lies to manipulate that whole environment to start pitting you against each other based on that. Yeah, I think even on that point, I heard someone in church here the other day, they said truth without, without love is destructive but love without truth is deceitful. And I think that kind of goes on what you're saying, because without that brotherly love or the fatherly love for the other person, you're just going to spew the truth that even if it is right, that will be destructive to them because they'll just say, well, okay, I can just keep my opinion because you don't care about who I am as a person. Whereas when you have the brotherly love there, you sh they should know that your intentions are, the point is sharing the truth to for the betterment of them, not for your own gain or personal gain. And then with the love aspect, if you're only being kind to someone because, you, and you don't give them the truth, then you're just deceiving them because you, and it, that doesn't benefit them any more than you giving them the truth without that. It's a crazy good feeling too. If you've ever had an actual brother or someone who is super close to you, like a brother, and you've had one of those like intense disagreements where you're wrong and they were right, and at the end of it, you're like, you're able to say, yeah, I was, I was way off on that. You were actually right. And adjust yourself to the truth. And at the end of it, still find that they've got your back and they haven't changed their relationship with you. You're, you're actually so much stronger because of that. But without that, any argument is going to be you versus them. And if you lose, you're going to look like an idiot. And that's one of the most interesting things about people. Um, there was a, uh, I was listening to a, I guess you could call him an entrepreneur talking about his, uh, he consults with businesses and uh, when looking at motivating employees and all this kind of stuff, he's like, one of the biggest things you've got to watch out for, don't put people in a position where they're going to look stupid because you will never win. You will never get any kind of positive change from that situation, from that person. And so if you're putting people in a position where what they believe is going to make them look stupid don't be surprised when they resist adjusting themselves to the real truth. It's all on how you approach it. Like you were saying, Caleb. Yeah. What you guys were saying, I think is uh, really important. And I think with such like a digital and technology age, uh, people really have lost touch on how to interact with people, even just normal people that, you know, you interact with a daily basis, like the person at the grocery store and not kind of stuff. So I think that's something that's really lacking and we've been kind of forced into that with COVID and everything shutting down. But I would agree hundred percent that you need, you need to have men in your life or women in your life um, that you can go to, you can talk and you can hear the truth and you guys can discuss and you can um, throw stuff around. And I think that's something that I've benefited from this last year and um, just kind of going through COVID is you need to have people that you can interact with and discuss and hear what they have to say, even if you disagree 100% and be able to walk away knowing that that person still loves you. And 
I think that's something that is definitely really important and really lacking. So I would suggest if you don't have people like that, you need to find people like that in your life and get around people who love you for who you are and not for what you believe in or for whatever, but just love you for, because you're God's child. And are willing to speak the truth at you as well and not just accept just because, well, I don't, he's, he's my son or he's my friend, so I don't want to offend him. It, there still has to be the both. Would you agree? Or So, yeah, I would agree. I definitely think um, you need to have discipline in that. Like a true father really loves you, but he also disciplines you and you may hate that too. And I guess one thing from my life is just that um, being around you, Brian and Jason and Caleb, um, just in my own personal life, having stuff where it's like, you guys speak the truth into my life. And after a phone call or after something, I'm like, oh, I hate you guys. Oh, I can't believe they're saying that. Or it's so frustrating hearing that. But like ultimately walking away, experiencing the love that you guys like pour out and just speaking the truth is something that's really changed my life. So I think if you don't have someone out there that's willing to speak the truth to you and you go away feeling loved, then they're really not sharing what you need to hear and the truth you need to hear. So I think you guys do a really good job at that. And I think people in our society need more people like that. That's really nice. I don't always feel like I am that way, but I, I do try. A quick, uh, that you know, it, it, it's interesting you're saying that, but it and it ties into this. Um, a couple of years back, I was flying back from Thailand, and it was a long flight. And the guy who sat down next to me um, was very angry, and he was a an Aikido an Aikido instructor and was just coming back from Japan. Uh, he's been training in it for like 20 years, and so he's doing a big conference in Japan and. He's on his way back to the U.S. and he sat down and um, we had about uh, four hours of this leg of uh, three or four hours of this leg of the flight. And right when he sat down, he said, how are you doing? I said, good. And then he went into saying how much he hated Christians and this whole born again thing. And so for the next 35 to 40 minutes, he unloaded all of his hatred towards that idea and what it does to society and what it does to people. And he just went on and on and on and on. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm tired. I'm like, I am not getting into this conversation. So I nodded. And then I thought we could just end the conversation. And I'd go back to listening to something. So then he said, so what do you do? And I said, well, we have a mentorship program in Thailand. We work with the government and we help young people discover who they are. And I, Kind of laid out our four pillars and he paused and he said so where did you learn those four pillars where did those come from and i said well you really never know who you are till you know who your father is and all of a sudden he just kind of changed and he said you know what's funny about that i was in the for 20 years i've had this pain in my shoulder and I could not get it to unleash it would like lock at a certain moment it was hindering my art and it was hindering my style and i could not get it unlocked and finally someone said to me said why are you so angry at your dad and he said my whole life i've just wanted to hit him and all of a sudden his arm unleashed like he finally came to the point that was actually locking him up i haven't said nothing all i said was that one statement and he's going through this whole thing with me and he said how did you discover that idea and i said because that's what God the Father did through Jesus. All these born-againers that you hate, I'm sorry for how it seems to have been represented to you. The whole principle was God wanted you to see what a father-son relationship actually looked like and restore it. And it melted the whole conversation. But, you, but there's something that I learned in the middle of that. One, I wasn't mad at this guy. I wasn't mad at his views. I didn't want to hear it. But I wasn't mad at him. And there was something that connected. And I didn't want to win the argument because I knew I was never going to win this argument. But when I brought it back down to something that mattered to him, 
there was something that mattered to him in the middle of that that he could see a truth because it mattered to him. We all of a sudden, the whole conversation flipped, and he said, well, maybe I just have that whole thing all wrong. I never even tried to fix it. My whole point of that whole story is there's a point of standing in truth. There's a point of taking a, a, a strong stance. I believe in protesting. I believe in the freedom of speech. I believe in the absolute need for the church to assemble and not do it online. I believe in all of these things. But if your motive is wrong in doing it and you're looking for justice and you're looking for, I'm going to get this done and I'm going to push back just to screw them over. I have a problem with that. But again, we can't measure the action, whether it's right or wrong, based on what we think is true when motives have a lot to do with that. But if we can get to the truth and we become peaceful in our heart towards what's true, we could still take strong stance. We could still take strong moves. We could still do that. But our motive is no longer the person in front of us. It's the evil that's behind that. And now something takes place that is different. And so I want to leave it at that. That's my final point when it comes to what is true. And you know what's true because your heart bears witness with what's true, and it brings a peaceful resolve, not a bitter and envy and a strife. All right, one last thing we'll leave you guys with uh, before we close out this episode here. Truth, it matters infinitely more than my opinion or my emotions. It matters more than your opinions or your emotions too. Without accepting the truth, your life will honestly just deteriorate and you'll be stuck as an immature emotional child and you will never be free from it. Now, how truth is communicated in different situations might vary. Like even as, as we've talked about before we start recording in different episodes, we've talked about, well, how specific do we want to get about certain things or how general do we want to be and what's the right time to bring up this topic? And it's a very difficult thing to figure out at times. And that's, so that might vary for you in different areas of your life and different conversations with people but the point remains the truth exists and you've got to stand for it the world is dying for more people to be the ones that rise up who aren't just thrown around by threats or intimidation or evil around them or injustice around them so we appreciate you guys being here each and every week until next time keep the faith and stay in the fight <laughs>